Oh, good morning. Good morning on this uh, lovely sunny day. Uh, it's wonderful to have you with us as we gather uh, to worship God, both here in the building or if you're with us following along online. Great to have you with us as we gather together to, sh- to, to worship God. Uh, please do stay afterwards uh, for refreshments in the back hall, especially if you're a guest here. It'd be great to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, this morning we're uh, continuing on in our series, uh, which we were doing in the evening service, now doing in the morning. Uh, we're looking at the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're looking at chapter 6. Uh, this morning Neil will be preaching to us from Mark chapter 6, verse 1 to 30, the king rejected by his own. We want to be a people who are dependent on the Lord, and we do that in prayer. And so in that light, let us just come to the Lord in prayer now. Let's bow our heads and pray. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our good shepherd, that you go with us, that you go before us, that you lead us as our good shepherd to places of quiet waters, that you refresh our souls, that we need not fear what tomorrow will bring because you are with us. You are our good shepherd. You lead us through the good valleys. You lead us through the dark valleys that we can have comfort and peace in your presence. We thank you, Lord, for the privileges that we have in Jesus, that you bring all things to us, that we might know your comfort and peace. Lord, we do pray for those who are grieving at this time for that comfort and peace. We pray for for Wendy and the family. We pray for Catherine and the family and, and for Ron and his family as well. Lord, would you be their good shepherd at this time? Would you lead them to quiet waters, to refresh their souls, that they might know your presence and peace with them. We pray too for people who are receiving end-of-life care as well, Lord, that you would be close to them, that they would know the security, the assurance of eternity in the Lord Jesus, that we have an eternal hope that can never be taken from us. And so we pray that you would help them to entrust their lives to you. We pray for many who are undergoing uh, other treatments, maybe cancer treatments or other things, those who are awaiting results, uh, maybe those who are struggling with depression or anxiety, those who are struggling with or battling with addictions. We pray that you would strengthen them, that they would know your presence in their lives. We pray too for those who are perhaps struggling with loneliness, be that through uh, being widowed or single or in different phases and stages of life. Pray, Father, that you would just help those who are struggling in different ways, maybe with loneliness, maybe struggling in marriages. We pray, Father, for for your comfort to be with them. We pray for your provision as well, people looking for employment, people looking for housing, looking to have provision in different ways. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be a people 
who are generous, abundantly generous in all that we have because all that we have comes from you. We pray that you would help us to be abundantly generous in our time as we seek to serve one another, be that informally or formally through many of the church ministries. We pray too that you would help us to be generous in our giving, that we would seek to to give you our very best in our money, in our time and our talents. And Lord, we thank you for uh, this new season, for some anxious, for for many perhaps exciting as they look forward to uh, a new start, a new term. We pray, Lord, for for many teachers, Lord, who are are Christians, that they would shine a salt and light in the places that you have put them. We pray too for many of the pupils, Lord, uh, going into uh, new places, new classrooms, uh, building new relationships. Lord, that you would go before them, that they would know your presence and peace with them. We pray as well for as a church as we start start again uh, new minist- start again in our ministries uh, that we would be people who are eager to serve, eager to to seek to serve other people with joy. We pray too for for Cal and Tash in their uh, new beginning in uh, Buckingham as Cal begins as a pastor in training there. We pray for your blessing upon them that they would settle in well. Uh, and that you would provide in different ways for them. We thank you, Lord, for your provision for Dave Green, too, for his uh, work permit, which has been approved for PNG. And we pray, Lord, for that final part of provision in his funding that would allow him to go and to serve you there. And as we think of mission, Lord, we we thank you, Lord, for for Michael Prest, who's coming uh, next week. We pray for your, uh, your blessing on him, that that would be an encouragement to all of us, that we would have a a bigger picture, a big vision of the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, uh, that you would help us to see that vision and be part of that as well. And as we seek to to outreach to people as well, we we pray, Lord, for the men's breakfast next Saturday morning, Lord, for many to come along to that, many friends, family, colleagues, uh, that they would hear the, the joy and the happiness that we can be found in the Lord Jesus. We pray too for some of the other things that are going on uh, through the week. We pray for the time to sing uh, ministry and the opportunities just to to sing uh, good songs, build good relationships and connect uh, with with those uh, who yet have to to know that joy in the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for uh, our missionaries and we we do thank you for for Josh and Helen who are with us, uh, that you would bless them in their time here in the UK. Uh, their their time as a family with little Rafi. And we pray, Lord, for for Helen and the safe delivery of the the baby this this month. We pray, Father, for your hand to be upon her uh, in that. We thank you, Lord, for their their time here. And we thank you for Josh's uh, abilities and gifts in the media ministry too. And we pray that that would be a rich blessing to so many, both here and abroad, uh, that many would be built up through that ministry. And Lord, we just entrust them to you and we thank you for them in their in their work and in, and in their lives and father as we come to your word now we pray that you would help us to have soft hearts that we would be attentive to your word as you speak to us through it we pray for neil as he preaches may we hear the voice of christ through him and that we would respond in repentance and faith that we would be built up to become more like our lord jesus the King of glory, that we would know him more and love him and live for him more. 
In his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite up Elizabeth, who's going to give a reading from Mark chapter 6. The reading is taken from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 30. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders of the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. 
At once, the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a dish. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oath and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a dish. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Thanks, Elizabeth. Good morning, everybody. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by his grace you have been saved. Father God, we thank you for your wonderful love, your mercy, your grace. And we pray this morning we would understand more of that, that you would fill us with wonder and amazement. And uh, you would enable us to live lives full of your grace and for your glory's sake. Amen. Well, a big part of what it means to be human is to make choices and decisions. And some of the most stressful decisions we can make are, how should I respond to this offer or this invitation? Is it something I should accept Or is it something I should reject? Or how should I respond to this warning or piece of advice? Is it, something again, something I should accept and do something about? Or is it something I should just ignore? In the case of an offer, rejecting a good offer can lead to a lifetime of regret. As Dick Rowe of the record company Decker can testify, he uh, is a man who notoriously turned down the possibility of a record contract with the Beatles. Uh, claiming that guitar groups are on their way out. Similar regrets were experienced by 15 publishers who rejected a young woman called uh, Joanna Rowling when she offered them the opportunity to publish a book about a young wizard called Harry Potter. In the case of a warning, ignoring a warning can lead to terrible tragedy. We've heard recently with a case of Lucy Letby, Doctors claimed they uh, raised concerns with senior managers, but they were ignored, and more babies died as a result. Well, the biggest decision we will ever make in this life is how we respond to Jesus. Jesus came with both a wonderful offer as well as a serious warning. And how we respond to that will determine not just how much we enjoy this life, but where we spend the rest of eternity. This morning we're starting, as Colin said, a new series in the book of Mark. Um, By the way, there are sermon cards you can pick up on your your way out. Um, We've been studying the first five chapters of Mark in the evening, um, and we thought it'd be good to switch to to the morning and continue it for the next couple of months. So for those who haven't been with us in the evenings or are not familiar with uh, the Gospel of Mark, let me just give a a brief recap of the, the story so far. If you've got your Bibles handy, you might want to flick back to to chapter 1. 
Because there we see that the book opens with these words. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, or the promised King, the Son of God. And we're talking about the first chapter, how uh, John the Baptist came before Jesus to prepare the way. He preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus himself was baptized by John, at which point he was anointed by the, the Holy Spirit. He was affirmed by the Father and then sent into the wilderness where he withstood temptation by Satan for 40 days. And then in verse 14, we're told this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus then calls his first disciples. He goes around healing, driving out impure spirits, and proclaiming the good news. It's not long before he attracts enemies. They to be the Jewish leaders who want to get rid of him. But he shows compassion to the needy. He demonstrates authority and power over nature, over demons, sickness, and death. And the question we're wrestling with in these, this first half of the book of Mark, leading up to, to chapter 9, is the question, who is this Jesus? Is he the son of God? Is he the divine king who's come to call people into his spiritual kingdom? Or is he just a, a human teacher who's done a few good things? Well, it's a question that people then had to answer. And it's a question today that we still have to answer. Who do we say Jesus is? And how do we respond to him? Because Jesus came with a simple message. He came and called people to repent and believe the good news. And in chapter 6, we're looking at uh, this morning, and we see Jesus continuing with that mission, continuing to preach. He's now moved on from the Lake of Galilee. He's headed inland, about 25 miles, up to the hills of Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth is his hometown, uh, where he grew up, and where he learnt his father's trade of being a carpenter. Uh, they haven't put the bunting out for him, but uh, he's now gained such a reputation, they have invited him to preach in the synagogue. And as he does, they were told in verse 2 that many who heard him were amazed. And that's the story of wherever Jesus has gone. Back in chapter 2, we're told what amazed people about Jesus was the fact that he teaches with authority. And in this incident too, we're told that the people asked the question, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that's been given him. What are these remarkable miracles that he is performing? This is not just another Jewish teacher preaching from the Old Testament. They can see that there's something very different about this man. It's as if these are his own words, which of course they are. And the message he's teaching is repent and believe the good news. When he sends his disciples out in verse 12, the message that they too were proclaiming was the same thing. They were calling people to repent. But if that word is new to you, what exactly does it mean to repent? 
Well, the heart of this word repent is to change, to change one's heart and to change one's mind. It's accepting that the way I've been living my life up to this point has been wrong. It's been all about me and my needs, pursuing my goals, seeking my satisfaction. And it's left me empty. And the reason for that is that God has not been a part of him. I've excluded him. I've rejected him. And that is what sin is all about. It's about rejecting God and saying, I don't need him in my life. So to repent is, first of all, to say, actually, I'm sorry for my sin. And not only am I sorry for it, I hate that way of life. I want to turn from it. I want to put that to death. That's one part of repenting, is to turning away from that way of living. But there's no point of turning away from something if you don't know what you're turning to. It's like somebody who spends their whole time uh, criticizing things, uh, and you ask them, so, so how, how would you do that? And they say, well, I don't know. I just wouldn't do it that way. Um, to repent is to turn away from our previous way of life and turn to, to Jesus. It means seeing in Jesus as somebody who is full of, of grace and truth and wisdom and power and beauty and humility. And saying, I need him. I want to be like him. I want to make a fresh start. So that's the repenting. Well, where does the believing come in? The believing is trusting that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the son of God. And trusting the good news that he's presenting, that he can change my life. He can forgive me for my sins. He can make me right with God. And he can make me new. It's realizing I can't change my life in my own power. I'm powerless to do that. But I believe that Jesus can. However messed up it is, he can change it. And there will be many of us here this morning who, who have repented, who are now seeking to, to follow Jesus every day. It doesn't mean we might uh, from time to time cast uh, our eye over our shoulder and look back. But as we do so, we're reminded That's the way of life I've left behind. I don't want to go back to that. I've now got a new life. I'm now following Jesus. There'll be others here this morning who are on a journey, who are not quite sure which way to turn. You're being pulled in in different directions. We heard last Sunday evening from Marta about how one Christmas uh, she just felt the urge to go to a church, um, just slip in, sit at the back. Um, she found a church, but was surprised when she got there to see just how full it was. So she was ready just to turn around and, and leave again. But um, there was a teenage girl there, she said, who just caught her eye and beckoned her over to come and sit next to her. And she did. Of course, there wasn't just a teenage girl. That was God calling her. And that was the start of her remarkable journey. Jesus calls people to repent. He calls them to believe the good news. But many reject him. The people who come to listen to Jesus know there's there's something different about him. They're amazed at his teaching and his, his miracles. And yet something holds them back from responding to his offer of good news. And in their case, what they can't make sense of is that, well, they've known Jesus since he was a boy. And in verse 3, have a look, it says there, they, they ask, isn't this the carpenter? 
Isn't this Mary's son and, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? He's just a normal bloke. There's nothing uh, special about him. He doesn't even look particularly impressive. How often have we written people off because they don't look very impressive? I haven't watched a Brilliant's got talent for a few years now, but um, what I did used to enjoy about it was when you got some person appear on stage who was totally unimpressive, and you thought, this is going to be a bit of a disaster. And then suddenly they open their mouth, and this incredible voice comes out, and the judges and the audience are left totally speechless. Susan Boyle was uh, a classic example. I think last year there was a school teacher called uh, Tom Ball. Um, in Jesus' case, the people of Nazareth who've known him since he was a child, cannot reconcile the fact that he's an amazing teacher, but he's also just a local lad. There's nothing special about him. And we're told that they took offense. They took offense at him. He was not their idea of what the Messiah would be like. They're rejecting him as a prophet. They're rejecting him as God. They're rejecting his message And Jesus' response is to say to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. And the writer Mark adds the comment, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Back in chapter 5, last Sunday evening, we saw the important role that faith plays in Jesus' interactions with uh, uh, Jairus and also the woman who'd been ill for many years. They believed that Jesus was someone special. Whereas here in Nazareth, the atmosphere is of cynicism and rejection. And it's not that Jesus doesn't have the power to heal anyone in Nazareth. He still did some healings here, but there were few people who really trusted him. And so they move on from there. Uh, Now Jesus sends out his disciples in twos. He sends them out as his ambassadors with power and authority. Jesus tells them not to take anything. Instead to trust that God will look after them and provide for their needs. And having sent them out, it means that if people reject his disciples, they're also rejecting him. Verse 11, he says, If in any place people will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Now, shaking the dust off your feet was a Jewish custom when they they left a, a heathen area. And so to do this to other Jews was a serious thing. It was a warning that by rejecting the message of Jesus, they are rejecting God. They're facing the wrath of God. It might be, remember, might be helpful to remember at this point that the disciples are not your fully trained, equipped ministers of, of Jesus. They still haven't fully understood who he is and why he came. And yet, they're willing to be sent out with no resources in total dependence on God to do his work. And I wonder how often do we wait until we have everything we think we need before we're willing to do God's work. 
Jesus is less interested in our gifting than in our desire, our heart, to serve him. He will give us what we need. Ministry and mission are not meant to be easy or comfortable. But when we do what he wants us to do in his strength, it is exciting and it is rewarding. The disciples go out in the strength of Jesus and preach the gospel. They drive out, drive out demons. They heal the sick. And in verse 30, we're told, they then gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Well, eventually word reaches King Herod, the ruler of this region of Galilee, about what's going on. And we now hear what's happened to, to John the Baptist. Back in chapter 1, we were told that when Jesus started his ministry, uh, John the Baptist had been put in prison. But we never heard what happened to him after that. And now we find out that he'd been executed. And so the rumors are going round that uh, Jesus, uh, uh, well, maybe he's John the Baptist raised from the dead. In case you don't know who John the Baptist is, uh, he was someone who God sent to prepare the way for Jesus. Uh, he was able to call people to repent of their sins. But since he was not God himself, he was not able to forgive them for their sins. Only Jesus could do that. John was not afraid to call anyone to repent, even King Herod. Herod was guilty of a very public sin. He'd married Herodias, who was the the wife of his brother Philip. And so both he and Herodias were guilty of adultery. And John warned them about the consequences of rejecting God's commands. To warn someone about something they are doing that will cause them harm is an act of love. To ignore it, pretend it doesn't really matter, shows a lack of love. And the trouble is because of human pride, no one likes to be told that what they're doing is wrong. What we see here in this episode is is two different reactions of pride to to John's warning. First there's Herodias, who we're told... um, nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. Herod's reaction to John is a little bit more complex. Uh, In verse 20, we're told that Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, and yet he liked to listen to him. There's a lot of confusion going on here in Herod's mind, isn't there? He's puzzled. There's There's a fear, there's a respect He likes to to listen to John. He knows he's he's a man of God. He knows his words contain truth. He knows deep down that John is right and he is wrong. Herod has great wealth and power, and we see that in the, the description of his birthday celebrations. He gives a banquet of the finest food. He invites all the powerful and high ranking people to come. But something seems to be missing in his life. John the Baptist, the one whose clothes are made of camel hair, whose diet consists of locusts and wild honey, has something that he doesn't have. And the sad thing in the story is that although Herod can see there's truth in what John is saying, he lacks the courage to respond to it. If Herod had taken on board John's warnings, if he'd repented, if he'd stopped his adultery, then what had happened next wouldn't have happened 
because the daughter of Herodias comes in. She dances at uh, Herod's birthday bash. And she pleases him and his guests. And Herod, probably having had a few more too many to drink at this stage, makes a very foolish promise that she can have anything she wants. Well, she goes off to her mother and consults with her. And Herodias sees her opportunity. And she tells her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. Herod, we're told, he was greatly distressed. He likes John. He he knows he's a man of, of, of God. He knows his request is outrageous. He should have simply rejected it. But what is more important to him is saving face. And so we're told that because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. And so he carries out the request. He has John executed. Herod is more concerned about protecting his own reputation than the life of an innocent man. He's more afraid of people than he is of God. I wonder how often is that the case in life? What was the reason that the hospital managers failed to respond to concerns raised by doctors in the case of Lucy Letby? What appears that they were more concerned about the reputation of the hospital than the lives of those babies? I wonder through whose eyes do you read the story there? Well, first you put yourself in King Herod's shoes. Jesus has told him to to repent, to believe. Sorry, John has told him to repent and believe. And yet, he's not responded. Maybe that's you. You've heard the, the good news of Jesus. You know it makes sense, but something's holding you back. Holding you back from turning away from the life you're living and turning towards Jesus, receiving his offer of forgiveness and a relationship with him. The thing is, you can't remain on the fence forever. If you don't come down off the fence on the right side, eventually you'll fall off on the wrong side. But maybe you are already a Christian. There are still lessons we can learn here from from Herod because you may at some point find yourself challenged about your behavior. How will you respond? Will you ignore it? Will you reject it? Or will you take it to the Lord and pray about it? And if necessary, will you change what you need to change? Will you do what makes you look good in the eyes of others? Or will you do what pleases God? If you're already a Christian, you may read this story through the eyes of John the Baptist. And you may think, yeah, I'm a Christian, but that was a pretty foolish thing telling the king to repent, wasn't it? He must have known it was going to end badly. Why didn't he just keep his mouth shut? And maybe out of loving concern, you've tried to tell somebody about uh, their need for Jesus. And it didn't go well. It led to them taking offense. Or maybe you've tried to challenge a Christian brother or sister about their behavior and they took it the wrong way. And so now it makes you wary of saying anything. You'd rather have an easy life and just keep your mouth shut. As I said before, as followers of Jesus, life is not meant to be easy. We may not be murdered for our faith, but we may be ridiculed, we may be ostracized, we may be criticized. 
question is, what makes us willing to undergo that, to be treated like that? Well, it's knowing that Jesus went through that for our sakes. Because as we've seen so far, Jesus calls us to repent and believe the good news. But many reject him. And that leads to Jesus' death. But it leads to our salvation. The death of John the Baptist and the death of Jesus had had quite a lot in common. Herodias wanted John dead, but she had to wait for the opportunity. The Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead. They had to wait for their opportunity. In ordering John's execution, Herod gave in to peer pressure, even though he knew John was a righteous and a godly man. In ordering Jesus' execution, Pilate, gave into peer pressure as he let the crowd have their own way even though he believed that Jesus was innocent. In verse 29 we're told that John's disciples came and laid his body in a tomb where Joseph of Arimathea came and took Jesus' body and laid it in a tomb. And just as it was the unwillingness of Herod to repent that led to the death of John the Baptist So it was the unwillingness of humanity to repent that led to the death of Jesus. But what was the difference between their deaths? Well, for all his godliness and obedience, John the Baptist was still a man. He was still a sinful. He was not perfect. Jesus, on the other hand, was fully God and was fully man. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. And so when he died, he was able to represent the whole of humankind and take the punishment that we all deserve. Jesus' death was part of God's plan of salvation for humankind. In our human nature and in our actions, we are all guilty of rejecting God and his son, Jesus Christ. We are all responsible for his death. We all deserve to be punished. But it's through Jesus' death that we are saved. As it says in Romans 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And God raised him to life to give us the sure hope of eternal life. As Peter explained this gospel message on on the day of Pentecost, we're told the people were cut to the heart and said to the Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What was Peter's reply? It was the same message that Jesus had proclaimed. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. It's the same message that we need to hear today. What should we do when we're cut to the heart, when we realize our rejection of Jesus? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you haven't yet done that, then, well, what's stopping you from doing that today? Turn away from your sin. Turn towards Jesus. Put your trust in him and receive his offer of forgiveness and eternal life. And if you have done that already and you know the joy and the peace of receiving the gift of forgiveness, of receiving eternal life, then come now as we share together in the Lord's Supper as we remember, as we rejoice in the the sacrifice of Christ for our sakes. 
And let's look forward to his coming again. Let's pray. Father God, as we think of the rejection of Jesus by his own town, his own people, his own family, we're conscious, uh, each one of us, of how we have rejected him in our hearts, how we would rather live our lives our way, make our own decisions, our own choices to please ourselves. But we thank you that Jesus came to proclaim a different way, that we can repent of that way and turn towards him and receive his forgiveness, his salvation. Enjoy the, our relationship with you. Enjoy being made right with you. Enjoy the promise of eternity. We thank you for your love that made that possible. And as we turn to Jesus, Lord, we pray you would enable us to walk in his way as his followers. We pray that we would take that same message of salvation to a world that is lost, a world that needs Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray you would give us the courage to do that, to go out into the world. Give us a love for those that are lost that causes us to, to warn them of what awaits them if they fail to respond to Jesus. Lord, help us not to worry about our own comfort. Help us not to worry about the rejection we may face. Help us to go out in your strength and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table now, we want to reflect on just what we have we've just sung. Uh, the Lord Jesus, who was despised and rejected that through his sacrifice we might be forgiven and accepted by god as it says in isaiah as rob read we he was rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain like one from whom people hide their faces he was despised and we held him in low esteem surely he took up the pain and bore our suffering Yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We are like sheep. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to their own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus he is the one that was punished for our sakes. The king of glory who came down to his people. The people that did not receive him. Instead he was beaten and mocked and crucified. He took up our pain on the cross. Being punished for our sins. Pierced for our transgressions. By the punishment that was laid on him. He satisfied the justice of God. As through Christ and him crucified, we are healed from our sins and forgiven. Now we have peace with God. This is what we remember as we come to the Lord's table with his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. And so as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table, let me give thanks for the bread. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body 
broken for us, that we would be made whole. We thank you that you were pierced for our transgressions, that we would know your peace. We pray that as we receive this meal, that we would receive it with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me please invite the the servers up. This meal is a a meal that reminds us, really, of the ultimate sacrifice of the Lord Jesus' death on the cross for us. Uh, Therefore, this is a meal for those who are trusting in Jesus. Uh, The wine is grape juice and the the bread is gluten-free, so there are are no obstacles to come to the Lord's table. If perhaps it's not true for you yet, that you have yet to trust in Jesus, that you have yet to repent and believe, then please do let the elements uh, just pass you by without any embarrassment. For those of us who are trusting in Christ, please take the bread and eat with gladness, remembering all that it cost the Lord Jesus uh, to bring us eternal life and forgiveness through his body. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat and feast on Christ by faith together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us drink with thankful hearts. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you that you... We're punished in our place that we might know your peace. That we might know your forgiveness in full. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. As I close this in prayer, our blessed Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you for what we have learned of you today, experienced of you. We thank you for your love and Lord Jesus, though you were despised and rejected, we praise you for the life that you have gained for us and given to us. And Lord, for those who are yet to receive it, grant them courage to grasp it, strengthen them by your spirit, we pray. Be glorified in our presence, for Jesus' sake. Amen.